Well, good morning, my friends. I have been honored with a request to tackle the light subject of how 9-11 impacts us today. Yeah, so, eek. But, uh, and forgive the absence of a PowerPoint. I did make one, but the images kind of felt like, oh, I don't know, exploitation of a tragedy. I feel the same way when I teach about the Rwandan genocide in my History of Africa class. So I decided just to talk with you uh, this morning instead. So my dad is really talented and brilliant. He's ambidextrous, uh, has a double master's in math and physics. And in his chosen career, my father worked for the U.S. Air Force, US Air Force first with atomics, Titan II missiles, then as one of two government liaisons to the Boeing company. He was on, in on the ground stages of the stealth bomber's development, and in the 20th century, his security clearance was such that he was not allowed to travel to England or to Western Europe because he was a kidnap and exchange target of the Irish Republican Army. Uh, the members of my family, even my mom, his wife, really had no idea that he was doing these things. Uh, he told us on Thanksgiving, the year after, well, the year that he retired, after my mom and I, early in the morning, saw a blue van pull up outside of the house and pick up the trash at like six in the morning. And then the blue van came back at two in the afternoon and put the trash back out on the curb. And so we're kind of wondering what's going on. And my father says, oh, well, they're just making sure I haven't thrown away any sensitive or classified materials. Uh, and we looked at him like we did not know who he was. And in fact, we kind of didn't. Uh, we did not know that dad was a spook for the government, and yet he was. Um, I did know that he had an office in Seattle. I did know he had an office in San Antonio and that he had an office as well at the, at the Pentagon. And he was supposed to be at the Pentagon on 9-11. Uh, and that's what I was thinking as the al-Qaeda terrorist attacks unfolded 20 years ago. Made a panic call to mom and breathed a sigh of relief as I learned that his trip had been canceled. But almost 3,000 people did die in the Twin Towers and in the Pentagon and on a field in Pennsylvania. More people were killed in 9-11 uh, than died at Pearl Harbor 60 years before. And I have other memories of that day, uh, but fear for my dad's safety, and I admit it relief, and then shock that this could happen or what stand out for me. And for many living in this country, the events of that day remain vivid in their memory, but most of the students in my class my classes, most of you uh, were born after that Tuesday morning two decades ago. So besides remembering that day for the tragedy of nearly 3,000 lives lost, uh, why remember it at all? How does it continue to impact us today? Well, well things changed. Uh, September 11, 2001 marks an inflection point in history. Life in the United States after the terrorist attacks is different than it was before. Things changed. It's different largely because the attacks precipitated security concerns and initiatives. And in the name of security, life has changed in the United States. There's been a trade-off between security and civil or personal liberty. And the trade-off impacts us and remains a point of discussion and debate. Perhaps the most obvious changes involve air travel. Uh, just watch an old sitcom or show from the 1990s. I don't know. Uh, a Friends episode where they're, where they're going to travel by air. Before 9-11, security was so much more lax. There's no TSA. 
The Federal Transportation Security Administration, with its more than 50,000 employees today, was created in November 2001, after 9-11. Before 9-11, you could wear your shoes when you went through security. Not all the bags were scrutinized. There were few restrictions about liquids in, in your carry-ons. And in fact, you could carry knives on board with you if the blade was shorter than four inches. Getting frisked was a rare occurrence. The process of boarding a plane was really kind of similar to getting on a bus. That's not the case today. Um, and it's one of the ways, of course, that 9-11 continues to impact us. Uh, security has taken precedence over privacy, is what's happened at the, at the airport and elsewhere. Government surveillance became more intensive and more intrusive after 9-11. President George W. Bush's signing of the Patriot Act in the month following the attacks led to the creation of what many have called a modern surveillance state, which has continued to expand under subsequent administrations. Um, an extensive listening network, occasional secret searches of homes and businesses, even the indefinite detaining of immigrants with suspected links to terror organizations. And for these activities, no warrants or consent required. Once again, this occurred in the name of security concerns. And the burgeoning security state has led many to again read George Orwell's 1984 with its all-seeing big brother. It's also led to conspiracy theory that impacts us even this year. Uh, conspiracy theorists that are concerned with what the government might be doing uh, impacts the way that, that vaccines are viewed by some. With individuals on the right, on the conservative side, uh, theorizing that perhaps there are tiny little machines in those vaccines so the government can keep track of us even more. And uh, conspiracy theorists on the left believing that perhaps the vaccines are not there to save us, but instead to wipe out unwanted parts of the population that the government is doing that, you really need to take my conspiracy theory course next time it comes around. Okay. But the very real fear that another disaster could happen and the government's determination to prevent that drove surveillance initiatives to unprecedented extremes, and yet with the majority of the populace favoring the new normal. Once again, security was deemed more important than privacy, and some would even argue more important than, than legality. Several challenges to the act and parts of the act reached the courts, but we've become somewhat inured to su surveillance. Twenty years have passed, and there has not been another major terror attack on American soil, and so some say this is, of course, a victory for the surveillance state. And corporate surveillance is more intensive than government surveillance now, or government listening. I mean, it's only about four years ago that Americans were shocked to discover that their phones were listening to them. I have two daughters. And I talk to them often. We talk about everything. In fact, we talk so much that my phone for the past several months has decided that I am female. That's right. And it has been, uh, yes, it's been suggesting a wide variety of interesting and feminine products for me to purchase. Uh, now, most of us just kind of accept corporate surveillance as the trade-off for the convenience of our phone and online shopping. And many accept government surveillance as the trade-off for greater security. Anger and fear generated by 9-11 also led to a surge in anti-Near Eastern and anti-Middle Eastern and anti-Muslim sentiment in the United States. And those tensions continue to exist. 
And while criticized by many, are justified by some as an expression of popular security concerns. And, of course, for government entities, this distrust manifested itself in profiling initiatives. Much controversy surrounds the targeting of specific groups or individuals for closer scrutiny. But proponents, of course, contend that it makes sense to profile in certain matters of security and enforcement. And opponents contend that profiling is discriminatory and encourages hatred. Border and immigration concerns also increased after 9-11 and remain a point of debate today. Though the terrorists that affected the attack, attack used legal tra uh, travel channels to arrive in the U.S., many Americans worried that the United States borders were and are uh, too porous in fear of a future terror attack, especially in an age in which one can fit a tactical nuclear device in a backpack and incinerate everything inside the loop. Um, well, that's driven demand for tighter controls at the borders. But there's also been significant opposition to these demands as we weigh security concerns against humanitarian issues. And the battle over border policy has, of course, led to greater scrutiny of our borders by both the political right and the political left. Lastly, of course, after 9-11, after the United States declared a global war on terror, which led to the military actions in Afghanistan and Iraq and elsewhere, and how to prosecute such a global war whether through economic pressure, uh, remote military action, boots on the ground and terror hotspots remains another point of debate. And certainly it's one that is discussed today and probably will continue to be discussed for the next several election cycles. So how does 9-11 continue to impact us today? One answer is that we continue to struggle with a host of questions raised in the aftermath of this event. Questions such as what trade-offs are we willing to accept for greater security? What are we willing to risk for greater personal liberty? How do policy decisions impact national interest? And does the United States have moral obligations? And if it does, what are they? Where do they begin and where do they end? These are good questions. These are important questions. And they're also questions that have room for multiple and valid points of view. And I encourage you to discuss them, uh, to entertain varied perspective, and always in your pursuit of truth, to lay aside the personal arrogance, well, to lay aside the arrogance of personal certainty, and instead listen with charity and with a humility born of the knowledge that God alone is God and all-knowing, and that you and that me and that we are not God. You're dismissed.